Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? I believe you heard that. Amen. Well, we're going to read a couple of verses right up here. I'm still on the myth series. What's a myth? It's something that a large number of people believe that is not true. A myth is something you believe that's not true. And I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul, looking down the tunnel of time with a prophetic eye, saw coming upon our day. He said, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming. Everybody say, it's here. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. And because they're chasing after their own desires, they will look for teachers who will tickle their ear. That's what he's saying. They will reject the truth. And what will they do? Read it with me. Chase after myths. What's a myth? Something widely believed, but it's not true. There are myths that are bombarding the church today. And on this series, this is our fifth week in this series. And on this series, I've been choosing issues that I see affecting the church. And when it affects the church, it's on my turf. It's on your turf. The church is to be the standard of truth. It is to be the representative of God in the world. And so when I see myths infiltrating the belief system of believers, then it's time to address the myth and expose it. So today, I'm going where apparently few pastors fear to go or are willing to go. And I hope more of them go here because I'm going to talk about the myth of born this way. So I am going to talk about homosexuality today. Now, I want to make it real clear. I'm not lampooning anybody. I'm not here to point a long condemning finger at any individual. I don't have a personal beef with anyone in that lifestyle. But there are messages that are coming to the church and coming into our culture daily that are contrary to the Word of God. And so I'm just going to, as a preacher and a teacher called by God to preach this Word, I'm going to share with you what the scriptures have to say about it. I'm going to do it boldly and I'm going to do it in love. And my prayer is that it helps to dispel some of the myth. And that we can, we can know at least what scripture says. So I want you to know I love you. And I love everybody listening by radio. And uh, God loves you. And God knows I'm a sinner as well. So we're all in the same boat. Amen? So... Let's pray together. Father, I give you this word on the myth of born this way, and I thank you that your word is clear on it. And I pray that you will dispel the myth and, Lord, chase away the fog of confusion. And, Lord, bring to us a clear word that will at least let us know clearly what the word of God says about this issue that is so prevalent, so prominent in our day. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, I appreciate there being as little movement as possible. If you have young ones with you, please don't let them get up and down and run around and walk out because it's distracting to people that have come from really far away, some of them, to hear the word of God. So anyway, turn to your neighbor and tell them God is good and you can be seated.
We had a wonderful time last night in our service, Saturday night service with the chief of police. I'm going to be talking about that at the end and giving and showing you a picture and telling you what you gave. It was amazing. And I, I, uh, he was blessed and we were blown away. And I'll tell you about that at the end. A huge tidal wave of pressure is currently being exerted on Christians and the church to throw away the belief, long-held belief, that homosexuality is a sin. We're now informed at every turn, I mean from every direction, that it's quite normal, that uh, it should be embraced and celebrated as a natural, God-given lifestyle. If you've noticed, if a denomination or a business, can anybody say Chick-fil-A, if you've been watching the news? If you haven't, go Google it. Or an individual happens to not agree with this position. In a land that is supposed to have free speech, we are immediately accused of being bigots and homophobes and haters and all kinds of wonderful words for simply stating that we happen to disagree that it, that it is not something that God agrees with in His Word. It's not in step with the Scripture. The latest step in this direction is the insistence that same-sex marriage uh, is not just to be tolerated but celebrated as a beautiful thing. And our own president recently placed his seal of approval on same-sex marriage in a nationally televised address. That put the issue front and center. I was thinking in 40 years of preaching, I have never, I, that I can remember, ever spent a whole message dedicated to this topic. I have sometimes salted and peppered a message with it, but I've never dedicated a whole one to it. I feel like we've sort of been challenged and boxed into a corner, and we either come out with what the Scripture says and answer it, or we are drowned in a myth. So I feel like I, I must answer it, especially if it reaches the level where the president is actually telling us of something we should embrace and be fine with and agree with and celebrate and, and whatnot. So let's look at the Word of God has to say about it. The key claim of those promoting this agenda and claiming even civil rights is that homosexuals are born this way, that their sexual preference is genetically caused, that it's a gene issue. Hence, they can't help it. They must be who God created them to be. And this claim of a, a gay gene has changed the argument and given the homosexual community the edge in the minds of many people, even the president. How can we, after all, when you look at it that way, frown upon their lifestyle if indeed they're born this way who can help being what they're born to be in fact when I've looked at this and studied this and prepared for this I've realized that we live in a day when genetics are being looked at as the cause of even criminal behavior the study of genetics is is advancing moving forward well I don't know about advancing but moving forward into this arena where criminologists are now saying that people are born to be criminals that it's in their genetic makeup. One criminologist recently wrote that genetic factors could be a strong predictor of which path you end up on in your life. You're born this way. You can be born a criminal and have no choice. 
This includes, in the article I read, alcoholism, drug abuse, and other deviant, self-destructive lifestyles. That changes the whole argument. So, as with so many other contemporary attacks against long-held Christian convictions, it all comes down to what the Bible has to say about it. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm going to be coming straight from the Bible. Our source of truth is the Scriptures. It is not our feelings. It is not what seems right or feels right. It's not what society says is true. Because you can look back 10 years and see society was saying something very different. And 50 years, society was saying something different still. Society changes with the winds. Society is shifting sand. And what society considers true, a later society will consider false. So society is not our source of truth nor are our feelings. The Word of God is the standard by which we measure all claims of truth or falsehood. I wasn't called to preach any other book but this one. And I believe this is God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is the final truth. It doesn't change or shift with changing cultures. It does not agree with the opinions of men. Instead of, instead of it bending to us, it requires us to bend to it. It is God's final word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So I'm going to be coming from the Bible. You can chew the meat, spit out the bones. You may not agree with me, but I want you to hear what Scripture says about this issue. I want to take an honest look today into God's word. And it's very far from silent on this topic. And let me say up front, once again, I don't have any personal beef with anybody in this lifestyle. I want to assure you, I'm not a hater. I've devoted my life to helping people. I'm not a bigot, and I'm certainly not a homophobe, which means to have a dread fear of homosexuals. I certainly don't have a dread fear of them or any other man, or uh, of adulterers or thieves or murderers or extortioners or any other sinner, because I, too, am a sinner saved by God's grace. So I'm not saying, you sinner, I'm saying we all are in sin. We were all born in sin. We all need God and we all need his forgiveness. My prayer today is that we can see the truth as it is laid out in God's word. And then you can do with it what you want. Let's look at it from three angles. I want to look at the whole issue of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, from three angles. The first one, God's original plan. I want to go back to the beginning because there was a beginning when the beginning began. There was a beginning. And Genesis is called the book of beginnings. So if I want to know God's original intention for mankind, I know that I'll find it in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. So going back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, we find that there is a clear and an evident design for relationships and sexuality. It all began with God's recognition of Adam's aloneness. Aren't you glad that God knows when you're alone and you're feeling lonely? The Bible says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now when God starts to do something that's going to be just right, you know what that means in the Hebrew? It's going to be just right. Adam was surrounded when God looked and saw his aloneness, Adam was surrounded by a stupendous creation. 
I really believe if we could see the Garden of Eden before the universe and the world were tainted and stained by the corruption of sin, it would blow our minds. The world he looked at was absolutely indescribably gorgeous, fantastic, stunning, jaw-droppingly beautiful. And God placed him right in the middle of it in the Garden of Eden. And he said, I want you to tend and I want you to watch it. I'm giving you a job. So even Adam was not on welfare. That's free. Now, God had also brought before him all the animals that he might name them. It says in Genesis 2, 19 through 20, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So God brings the animals before the man one by one, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names, the Bible says, to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. And when you think of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of species of created things, we are stunned and taken back at the genius, at the brilliance of this first man, Adam. Because he had to think of a name, an individual name for every animal, every insect, every bird, every marine life. What a stunning, creative mind he had. But still, says the Bible, there was no helper just right for him. So God took action. The Lord God, it says in the Bible, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. Now keep in mind that every single thing that God had created had passed before the eyes of Adam. Everything. Yet not one of God's creations had been a fit for him. So God created a perfectly suited and complementary person to the man. He called her woman. And I believe it's because when he saw her, he said, whoa, man, that's free. <laughs> Just giving a little humor here. All you men in here say amen. amen. Then the man said... Now look at this. This at last is bone of my bones. Listen, you can hear the relief in his voice. Finally, at last, I found her. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now watch this. So when God saw the aloneness of the first man, he uniquely created a companion for him. Nowhere else in all of creation did God create a living being the way he created woman. We're told that all the rest of creation was created ex nihilo. Something came out of nothing. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there were the birds in the air. God spoke and the animals appeared. God spoke and marine life appeared. God spoke and all the trees jumped from the earth and all the vegetation, the flowers, all the species, it all came about when God spoke and said, let it be. But it was different with you and me. God paid special attention. He took special care to create man and woman. It says God formed man. He did not say let him be. He formed man from the dust of the ground and he made woman from man's rib. Her closeness to the man 
could not have been more acute because God literally formed her out of the rib of man, the body part closest to his heart. The Bible says that God looked at what he had done, woman, man, creation, and said, it is good. He looked at her and said, it is good. He looked at them as a couple and said, it is good. And God personally brought her to the man, and God oversaw the first wedding in the history of the world in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine not saying, I do? If God brings her to you guys, God oversaw the first woman and first man being married. Jesus' first act in his ministry was to attend a wedding in Cana, and he blessed that wedding between a man and a woman. Moses, who wrote Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, comments in the very next verse... When it says God brought her to the man, right after that, Moses writes, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He's giving us commentary. He says God created the man, then he created the woman. When God was done and he brought her to the man, and, and the first wedding was performed, and they were joined together, then Moses gives commentary under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he says, this explains why. From then on, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. It's the only time in life when one plus one equals one. And the two shall become one flesh, man and woman. So the, the plan and the pattern and the purpose of God for the human race is clearly laid out in the book of beginnings. God made woman for man. She was made to be an equal partner that was a helper who complemented him emotionally and spiritually and very obviously physically. Now think with me a moment. And I'm not asking for funny laughter. And I'm not making a joke. I want you to really think for a minute. If God the Almighty Creator had seen that another man would have been best for Adam, that's exactly what he would have done. He said, I'm going to do something that is just right for him. And what was that? A woman for the man. And God said, it is good. Now moving to the New Testament, we find Jesus Christ, the Son of God, clearly substantiating this truth. In answer to a question about when a man could justifiably divorce his wife, the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted easy, no-fault divorce on a level you've never seen. They wanted out if she flipped the, the eggs wrong. And they said, Jesus, what has to happen for us to get out of this marriage? We want an out. How far, what, what is the justification for us getting out of this marriage? And Jesus replied, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Now notice with me a minute. Their question was about divorce, not gender. They didn't ask him anything about gender. They said, we want to know how to get out of this marriage. But Jesus leaped in and began to talk about gender. And he said, God made them. Haven't you read from the beginning? He made them male and female. What is Jesus saying? that the marriage covenant he had just been asked to comment on was designed by God for male and female. 
That's exactly what Christ was saying. Now let's remember that Jesus Christ was not a first century hippie walking around in sandals with long hair and blue eyes looking like some movie star saying pretty things and nice things and just loving on people. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It says nothing that was created was, was not created but through Him. So the man they asked about divorce was the very God who is involved in the forming of man and woman in the Garden of Eden. He was a player, a major player, the Creator. So he ought to have known what he was talking about. And once after establishing the truth about the two genders, only then does he launch into the subject of marriage by quoting Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. What God has joined together. And what had God joined together? Male and female in holy matrimony. So coming back to the issue of our day, did Jesus say anything about same-sex marriage? They say that he didn't say anything about it, but he absolutely did. He said something about it by pointing out that from the beginning, marriage was designed for male and female. That's not what we're being told today, and that's not the popular trend. But I believe when all else fails, follow directions. If you want to know what the Word of God has to say about it, we're reading it. So now that we understand that marriage was originally designed by God to be between a male and a female, not two men, not two women, what does the Bible tell us about a gay gene? What does the Bible say about where homosexuality begins? I gotta tell you, I've counseled people and I've driven away from counseling people with tears in my eyes because they were so tormented and tossed about this issue. Tempted, confused, wondering if they were indeed born this way, wondering if something were wrong with them. It's broken my heart where I couldn't even get home. I had to call Kathy and say, Kathy, this counseling session just broke my heart. My heart so goes out to this person because they were so pulled and so torn apart. I know that some people struggle mightily with that temptation. But guess what? As do other people with the temptation to adultery or fornication or some other sin. Though homosexual folks may be strongly tempted, and they are, they're not alone in the realm of temptation. I've never dealt with that battle, but I've dealt with my own battles and I know what it is to be tempted where you just feel like it's bigger than you and stronger than you and you need the help of God. And so I empathize and I sympathize with their struggle. But the few things that I do know about it for sure, I gather from the scriptures. First, I got to tell you for the record, you should know, you need to know, because it's homosexuality is is not as widespread as some would like us to believe. If you just watched movies and watched TV and read secular media, you would think that it was absolutely pandemic and everywhere. And for years now, homosexual organizations have been promoting that 10% or more of the population is gay. I read recently that they polled people, I think, 30 years old and under, or 25 years and older, I can't remember, and under, 25 and under, And they thought that 25% of the population was gay. 
But a study just published by the National Center for Health Statistics, which is one of many, a secular study, demonstrates that only 4% of men and women consider themselves to be homosexual or bisexual, a small minority. The figure of 10% or more is a myth that continues to be propagated, I think, with the intention of establishing a sense of normalcy for this lifestyle. Second, according to the most recent science, there is no gay gene. Now let's go back to school for a second. What's a gene? Let's remember, a gene is the basic unit that transmits characteristics from one generation to the next. Genes decide eye color, hair color, height, skin color, what race you are. That's all genetically driven, genetically decided. That's what genes do. And even Jesus talked about this when he was talking about short people. He said, you short people, you can worry all day and wish you were taller, but all the worry in the world is not going to get you one inch taller. Because what you got genetically, you got. If you're tall, you're short, blue-eyed, green-eyed, you can put contacts in and you can dye your hair. But we know the truth. You get what you were given by genes. But watch now. If there's a gay gene, it means the person has no choice in the matter. Or if there's an alcoholic gene or a drug addict gene, they too have no choice but to be what their genes have programmed them to be. And the problem I have with that is where then is personal responsibility? And how will God ever judge anyone? If everything we do, good and bad and in between, is genetically driven, then where is choice? And God made us a people of choice. So I think we need to be careful with this whole genetic discussion. Because my Bible shows me that I have a choice. That I can choose to sin or not sin. Especially as a believer, I have the power to say no. And this is exactly what's being claimed, though by the current homosexual movement in America and by the media, I mean from every direction, unendingly, that there's a gay gene, that they have no choice, that those in that lifestyle are born that way. Now this view became popular back in the early 90s when Newsweek ran the cover story entitled, Is This Child Gay? February 24th, 1992, that edition of Newsweek. Is this child gay? The story was based on research done by a man named Michael Bailey. And what's ironic about this and what's sad about this is that in 1999, seven years later, after Bailey said he had found the gay gene, he refuted his own findings by saying his earlier study was flawed. But the damage had already been done because within seven years, the belief in a gay gene was ingrained in our culture. Many, many people believe it now, but it's no, it's never been scientifically proven. It's like the missing link and the missing gene. They never found the missing link and they haven't found the gay gene. Unfortunately, the ever predictable media, and you can count on them, were more than happy to trumpet Bailey's initial claims, but said little to nothing when he refuted them. Columnist Ann Landers' message to her readers sums it up when she writes emphatically, quote, homosexuals are born, not made. 
Really, Anne? Where do you get that? Because there's no scientific evidence of a gay gene. It's never been found. Google it yourself. So how have we come to believe it? How have we come to accept it? How have we come to embrace it? It's a myth, believed by many, but not substantiated. Gay gene researcher Dean Hamer was asked by the periodical, a secular periodical, Scientific American, if homosexuality was rooted solely in biology. He replied, absolutely not. The American Psychological Association, a secular organization, to be sure, wrote in 2009, quote, It's clear that efforts to prove that homosexuality is simply a biological fate accompli have failed. Quoting further, they go on, quote, The activist researchers themselves have reluctantly reached that conclusion. There is no gay gene. There is no simple biological pathway to homosexuality, and the Bible would agree. In the most well-known and infamous New Testament passage on homosexuality, Romans chapter 1, a chapter that I've heard people would love to tear out of the Bible and burn, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit two different times that it is a choice. Let me read it to you. Chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their flesh, or in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, watch next, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you notice the word exchange? Now listen to verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Verse 27, likewise also the men exchanged, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of error which was due. Now, what I want you to see is the word exchange. Because the word exchange is a verb that requires choice. Exchange means to trade, to trade one thing for another. I was telling the services before now, when I was a kid, I had all kinds of collections. I had, man, I, I had comic book collections that I'd give anything to have back because they would make me thousands of dollars right now. But I had a marble collection, a huge marble collection. And, and I mean, I had them all agates and steelies and shooters and boulders and cat's eyes and all these different marbles. And those of you that know marbles know that I know my stuff just by listening to me. All right? Now, I, I, what I used to love to do is get up in the morning when I was a little kid, eight, nine years old. We would go down the street and we would trade marbles. Now, I had some really nice, coveted marbles agates. And agates were worth 10, 20 other kinds of marbles. So I used to drive some hard bargains. I'll trade with you a, an agate for a, a Cleary Boulder and a Shooter Steely, and I would name all these, and they would give it for the agate. So watch this. I traded one thing for another. It was my choice. I made an exchange which required my will to be involved. 
They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the natural use of gender. There was an exchange, which means their journey into homosexuality is not presented as something they were powerless to resist. It was a conscious trade-off, not a genetic demand. That's what the Bible says. And God wrote the Word, and God does not make mistakes with words. Think with me a moment. I want you to think. If God actually created a person to do something he in turn expressly condemns in his word, would that not make God a cruel monster? If I made you to be something and then told you you can't be what I just made you to be, wouldn't that make me a torture master? And yet Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, speaking of God? And see, if you believe that God created you to be something then he told you you couldn't be, then that conflicts with my concept of God who is love of God who loves us and created us to walk in joy, not frustration, in joy, not in sorrow, in joy, not in bondage. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is rhetorical. Yes, he will always do what is right. And another biblical proof, and I'm closing with this, that homosexuality and other sins, other sins as well, is a choice, is found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Listen to the scriptures. Do you not know? Now he's writing to the Corinthian church. These people were saved out of, very, out of a very pagan, immoral culture. And it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to what he says next. And such were, can everybody say were with me? Such were some of you. What were they? Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. That's what they were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, if, if, if you're really saved, you've got some words back there. I were into drugs. I were into immorality. I were this and I were that. Now that's bad English, but it's good preaching. Because if you're saved, you've got some words. You were this and that, but now you're something else because a miracle happened to you. Say with me such words, some of you. So I got a million dollar question for you. If homosexuality is genetic, how did these folks walk away from it? The same way the drunkards, extortioners, thieves, adulterers, and others did. They turned to Christ. They were born again. And by grace, they experienced deliverance. So the message of a gay gene or an alcoholic gene or a thief gene is a myth. Now here's where I will agree with them. I will agree with them that we're born this way in this respect. We're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're all born with a fallen nature. 
We're all born with a proclivity and a propensity to sin against God's law. Nobody had to teach us to break the commandments of God. We did it all on our own. We were born with a darkened heart, with a dead spiritual man. We have all broken God's law. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God looked across the world and said, there is none righteous, no, not even one. Jesus said, we don't have gene trouble, we have heart trouble. He said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual sins, thefts, slanders, and blasphemies. They don't come from a gene. They come from a heart that needs to be born again. So Jesus said, you must be born again. Say, well, I'm born this way. Get born again. Hey, when when he saved me, I had been a fornicator. I had been in drugs. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't have Bible truth. But that's worse. So what is the answer? It's that cross that we saw on that video. They were, all those young people were putting some sins on a little piece of paper and putting them on that cross. And that's exactly what Jesus did with our sins. Our sins were crucified with him. Our fallen nature was crucified with him. Everything we ever did that would send us to hell was crucified with him. And God's wrath, like a fire, fell on that cross and judged him for our sins. And our sins were burned up on the cross by God's wrath. Can you stand with me today? And I want us to just bow for a moment of prayer. This is very important. Please, as little movement as possible. Because we're going to pray together. Some of you used to walk with the Lord and you've drifted. You've gotten away from him. But you know, before I even say it, he's calling you back. He's calling you back to make peace with him and to totally commit to a life of following after Jesus. Maybe some of you have never had the miracle of being born again and you're struggling with things that you know are wrong but you feel completely powerless to do anything about it. I know that feeling. And I want to tell you that God's grace is here to touch you. And you've got to begin at the beginning. And that is Christ coming into your heart, changing your nature. It happened to me. And God will do it for you. I'm talking to men, I'm talking to women, I'm talking to older folks and younger folks. I don't know everyone here, but I do know that you need him and he loves you. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those categories. I've drifted from him or I would love to know the miracle of Christ coming into my heart. I wouldn't leave this building without settling this issue. You can say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to lift up your hand right where you are. Lift it up. And I want to see you. I've drifted. I see you everywhere. God bless you. God bless you. God love you. God bless you. I really sense the Lord here right now. And 
God's wanting to change some people, give you some hope. I want to ask you to do something. If you've raised your hand, I want you to slip out from where you are and I want you to come and stand right here with me. If you're with somebody, bring them with you. Say, come walk down there with me. Say, why do I have to come down there? Because if you take one step, that's a step of faith and God's going to begin to touch you right then and there. Faith makes you move your feet. So I want you to come. If you raise your hand, come now. Come and we're going to sing a couple of stanzas and I want you to come. Don't, Don't worry about anybody and we've all been there. I want you to come right now and we're going to pray with you today as we sing. Go ahead and lead us, Heidi, and we're waiting on you, men and women, younger, older, it doesn't matter. It's never too late unless you're dead. Then it's too late. You come now.